Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Some Other Sphere. If you enjoy it, please leave a rating on your preferred podcast platform or like and share it on social media, as it all really helps to promote the show. If you'd like to support the upkeep of the podcast as well, you can donate via Ko-fi. Go to ko-fi.com forward slash some other sphere podcast to find out more. Thank you again, and now on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is Karis Cotter. Karis is an award-winning author who specialises in writing ghost stories, many of which are influenced by the history, folklore and landscape of Newfoundland, where she lives. Alongside her writing, Karis has worked in schools and libraries across Canada using drama and storytelling to bring her books to life. She has also encouraged Newfoundland children to collect traditional ghost stories from their communities as part of a project which has seen two books of these tales published, written and illustrated by the students. I begin the interview by talking with Karis about how her interest in ghosts started from an early age and how moving to Newfoundland has influenced her passion for writing stories about them. We discuss the relationship between ghosts, storytelling and people and how the importance of that can be seen in the history of Newfoundland, as well as in the present day with the projects that she has worked on with local school children. We also debate how stories about ghostly encounters may offer an insight into the true nature of what might be happening when people have these experiences, and how that can offer a better way to frame a discussion on the paranormal outside of believing or not believing. Karis also provides some accounts of local ghost stories that have been reported to her, which are great examples of why these types of tales fascinate us so much. It was a pleasure to talk with her about her work, and I think this is a great episode to start 2024 with. Enjoy! Karis, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Rick. I'm very happy to be here. A lot of the time, the first question I'll ask my guest is how they became interested in the paranormal. And I noted on the bio on your website that you grew up near a graveyard. I'm I'm guessing that that played some part in in your own interest. Yes, it really did. I we lived on a, a little lane just behind a cemetery in in Toronto, a very old cemetery called the Necropolis, City of the Dead, and. Um, it just kind of, it was kind of a shadow there in my childhood. Like I went in there to play and to gather leaves for leaf projects for school. And it was, it was a beautiful place. I mean, the gravestones were old and lovely and wonderful trees. So I would go in there and I had a kind of reverence for it, but it was also spooky and I, I was fascinated by it. So that cemetery did have a big effect on me, liking you know, starting off liking ghosts a lot when I was a kid. Not that I met any, but, but at that point, but no, it was just, it, it made me 
interested in ghosts. Oh, absolutely. I can, I can completely understand. And what else happened to start your interest in, in writing about them? Well, it was kind of like I always was interested in ghosts and I always just loved the idea that there's something more in the world than what you can see and touch. And I I just loved the idea that people could come, maybe come back from the dead. So I, I like the idea of ghosts. And my daughter, when my daughter was born, she, um, she, she was quite articulate as a quite small child. And she saw ghosts everywhere and would talk about them. And so that, that heightened my interest a lot because we would talk about them as she grew up and we'd have like some crazy Halloween parties and, um, she just, she saw them and she told me about them. I never saw them, but that enhanced my love of ghosts and ghost stories. And then, um, when I, I moved to Newfoundland in, uh, 2007, Newfoundland is one of the most haunted places in the world and there were so many wonderful ghost stories there and just walking around in Newfoundland it's a very haunted landscape so I it it had a huge effect on me being in Newfoundland learning about Newfoundland ghosts and then all my books from that time onward I'm a writer and uh, a children's writer and um, all my books from then on always had ghosts in them right yeah so was it moving to Newfoundland that really sparked your interest in writing about ghosts? Yes, it was. I I'd kind of, it had been in my mind that I wanted to write about ghosts before that. And I had written a little bit, but when I got to Newfoundland, everything changed because it's, um, there were just so many ghosts there and ghost stories and the landscape itself, I mean, Newfoundland, um, it's a very rugged, barren kind of island in, in the North Atlantic. And it's, it's, the weather is horrendous. <laughs> it's, uh, St. John's is supposed to have the worst weather in Canada. And Canada has some bad weather. So you can imagine it's pretty bad. It's, it's not that it's terribly cold or that there's a huge amount of snow, but there's always this wind, this wild wind in the winter and in the summer and and rain and drizzle and fog and of course fog just gives rise to ghosts and ghost stories and the middle of uh the center of newfoundland is just empty it's just uh ponds which is the newfoundland word for a lake and they call it the barrens it's forests and ponds it just and rock it just goes on forever inside newfoundland and people live all along the outside on the coast so the the weather itself just gives rise to ghosts, I think, and the landscape. Yeah, of course. I mean, that does sound very atmospheric. So when you moved there, um, was it relatively straightforward to to find existing ghost stories and existing folklore? Is that something that was surviving when when you moved there? Well, I, it wasn't easy. I, I mean, there were, you know, books written and people who had done research on ghosts, but to find a, you know, I love hearing a ghost story told by a person. And, uh, I went on several pilgrimages around different parts of Newfoundland, trying to find people to tell me ghost stories, but I wasn't very successful. I found a few that were great, but mostly I wasn't. And 
people kept saying, you know, oh, well, if only you'd known old so-and-so, she, she, she knew all the ghost stories. She was wonderful. She would keep you happy for hours telling ghost stories. And I said, well, what happened? Where is she? Oh, well, she died last week. That would be the story. The person who I should talk to had always kind of died very recently. And, and there weren't a lot of stories at the beginning, but what happened was I've, I've always worked in schools with my books and I, I went into schools and I started a project, a publishing project where the children went home and asked their parents and grandparents if they had any ghost stories. And that's when I really hit the bonanza of the stories because it's, it's interesting in Newfoundland. It's, it's, there's, it's been a very strong oral tradition there for hundreds of years. That's how people entertained themselves by sitting around and telling stories. And it's, it's, it, because it's a fairly, it has been a fairly homogeneous kind of population with um, not much immigration till the last, you know, 50 years. Um, it's this English and Irish people there and they, with their origins were there, but now they were Newfoundlanders and it's a very different breed and the, they pass the culture down and the culture is, even though there's computers and, you know, internet and, you know, all our technology now that, tends to, you know, really break the oral tradition, the stories are still there. And these kids brought in the stories and it's because they were passed on and, you know, families will stay in the same little community for, you know, a few hundred years and pass on their stories. So um, I had a wonderful time with the kids discovering these stories. And I did it in two different schools where we actually published books ourselves like the kids learned how to publish a book and and then there were these wonderful ghost stories in them from the community that the children had written so that's where a lot of my stories come from is is those stories the children told me wow that sounds like a a really brilliant way to get kids interested in ghosts um what were some of the stories that came about from doing that project that you, you found most notable well, I, I ended up publishing a book called Screech uh, a couple of years ago, and it was it's a, it's a collection of 10 stories, and not all of them, but most of them have come from um, the stories that I got from the children, and then I, I make them my own. You know, I, I introduce different characters, and, and um, I keep the heart of the story the same, but I put a lot of different kind of window dressing on it, and there was a story... Um, about uh, the ghostly longboat, uh, which um, is a, a story about a, a longboat appearing in the fog um, off the coast of, um, right near where I live actually, um, in Conception Bay. And that story came in, was in one of the books and it was very short that this grandfather had told his, his grandson and he brought it in. So that was a really good ghost story. And there was another one about a blueberry picking ghost and they're all in the neighborhood of this school. Like you can walk outside and, and, you know, drive around and find the place where the ghost was seen. And the blueberry picking ghost is this poor old lady who, who got lost picking blueberries. And then you can always see her out there picking them again in blueberry season in September. So um, that was another really great one that I got from the kids. Um, I'm trying to think, Oh yeah. And there's another one in the book a really, really kind of one that gives you the shivers called um, 
I think it was called The Long Goodbye, but it was about this ghost on the Gander, which is a place inland where they did a lot of forestry. And back in the 20th century, you know, the first part of the 20th century, um, boys, teenage boys would go with men and start and work long hours in the lumber camp. And so this was a story about this one boy who'd left his mother behind and he was in the lumber camp working. And um, one night uh, he, he was woken up in the bunkhouse and he saw this woman with a light approaching him. And when she got up to his bed, she saw it was his mother. And he said, well, what are you doing here? And she just looked at him and um, then she was gone. And of course, the next day he got a telegram telling him that his mother had died the night before, uh, you know, miles and miles and miles away. So that was a story that really stuck with me because it was, it was so tragic. And it was also so representative of, of Newfoundland, of the hardships people went through. And I really think that a lot of these ghost stories, of course, they come from tragedy and sorrow and in Newfoundland hardships, because the life was incredibly hard for people there. Um, up until up until the 60s and people didn't have in in many places people didn't have electricity or indoor toilets it was they just lived the way their ancestors had lived for you know centuries yeah i mean that encounter that you just talked about that's a sort of a, a classic case of a crisis apparition isn't it i think which we've yeah. been reported all over the they world call it Yes, a token. They say it's it, in Newfoundland. They call that a token ghost, and it's um, the kind that appears to you at the moment of death when you're far away. And and I have read that if you're going to see a ghost, the token is is the most likely one you're going to see because they're so common. Right, and just to clarify, the the longboat um, that's seen mm-hmm. is that a Viking longboat or is it just a, a long sort of rowing boat? And no, I can tell you a little bit more about it. No, no, I don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have any Viking ghost stories. I'd love to have some from Newfoundland, but there's nobody left there to tell them. Um, but the the longboat, so the, the what they would have is on a schooner, they'd have, you know, dories, smaller boats or longboats sometimes if they were a bit bigger on the deck of the schooner. And they would use those um when they went out fishing or when they went to, when they put down anchor and went into Harbor. And so it's a long boat. It's just longer than a normal little dory. And uh, that story was uh, near Beta Verde, which I can see out of my living room window. Um, and it was after a really bad storm in Easter. And, and I think this is probably about 200 years old, this story. And the storm was was just a crazy winter storm. And um, afterwards, they found a bit of debris washed up on the beach. And they figured a boat had gone down, but they could never find the boat. And then months later, in fishing season, very thick fog, these two fishermen uh, filled up their boat with um, fish. And they were in this place called Bacaloo Tickle. And a a tickle is a bit of water between an island and the mainland. So it's a really good place for fishing. Um, and they were just making their way back to Beta Verde with a full boat of fish when um, 
they heard this sound in the in the fog and they couldn't see a thing but they heard a man calling out the time for the rowers and they they heard the the the, the sound of of that the oars make when they you know smack on the boat and they they go through the water so they they knew it was a, a rowboat and they couldn't see anything and then suddenly it just appeared out of the fog uh right in front of them and there were 12 men in it uh rowing and a man calling out the time and nobody they these two fishermen called out and tried to catch their um attention but the they didn't look up they just kept rowing and the, then the it, the boat was swallowed up by the fog and they went back to Beta Verde looking for this boat and who the people were and finding out you know what they were doing and there was nobody there and it was it hadn't come in and there was no sign of it so um that night after they'd seen it there was another storm just that night and then people in the lots of other fisher people started seeing these this boat in the fog you know every few weeks that somebody would see it and they finally decided that this was the boat that these were the sailors that drowned in that terrible storm with that where they'd just be able to find a bit of the debris so these sailors had drowned and that they were they were rowing and rowing trying to get to Beta Verde and to get to safety but of course they could never get there because they were ghosts and the boat was a ghost ship and they um they they every time that somebody saw this ship there was a storm that night so it became an omen of a storm this this ghost ship and people saw it later like over the years fewer fewer people saw it but but there's still people that this grandfather who told the story he had talked to people who had seen it so it's still it's still there i think no absolutely um it's it's interesting a, a lot of the time when it comes to ghosts and reports of encounters with apparitions you you get on to sort of talking about what's actually happening and i'm interested talking to you as a a storyteller and somebody that's interested in oral traditions of storytelling and and keeping those going um how that and if that has influenced what you think ghosts might actually be because talking to you there it it sounds almost like they're ghosts are a part of almost like an ecosystem they're, they're part of how that community functions if you see what i mean um yeah i think that's really true that um and and the the, the thing about newfoundland that's so extraordinary is people really do believe in these ghosts it's the belief has held on uh through down through the different generations so it's not um it's not oh you know, they, it's not the same as hearing a ghost story and wondering if it's true. They believe it's true and it is part of their local culture. And one of the ghosts that's very prevalent in that area is um, the old Hollies. And, and this is probably a tradition that came with some other traditions from Europe, but um, it has its own Newfoundland story. And it's the, the old Hollies is the name for a sound that the wind makes. Um, and when the wind, you're just living with it all the time when you're on the coast. And when it's 
get picks up and it starts, you know, moaning around the corner, uh, the corners of your house. Sometimes it really sounds like there are people screaming in the wind. And if you hear those people screaming, uh, they say, well, that was the old Hollies. You know, I heard the old Hollies last night. And, and then, and it, again, like the ghost, uh, ghostly longboat, it's considered an omen for a bad storm. And, and if, if you hear the old Hollies, there's going to be a bad storm. And they, they just, now this story came up again and again with different children. And so it was, it was a very familiar, well-known story. And, um, people, uh, people talk about the old Hollies all the time and, and they know what you're talking about. If you say, if you start talking about the old Hollies and it's a very prevalent ghost in Newfoundland. In Conception Bay, where I live, it there's been so many shipwrecks there over the years. Hundreds of people have drowned in that one bay. It, you know, it's a large bay. Um, and they say that the old Hollies are the voices of these these shipwrecked victims. Um, so it's it's very specific to different actual shipwrecks that these are the shipwrecks that where the old Hollies came from. Right, yeah. That's something I, I wanted to ask you, actually, is that with the history of Newfoundland and a lot of that involving fishing and, and ships and things like that, I, I suppose a, a lot of people would have died out at sea and there wouldn't have been a, a body to bury. And I, I guess that lends an aspect to the ghost stories and the nature of, of what people might encounter. Yes, it's definitely a big, a big uh, sort of subgenre of Newfoundland ghost stories are the, the, the book, the stories about people who've drowned and ships that have gone down. Um, and I, I got many stories from children of different ghost ships that would appear um, in certain places. And uh, the, there was a really, a, there were many stories also about token ghosts that would appear fishermen who had died in a storm and would appear to their wives at the moment of their death. And, and those are, there's one that's just heartbreaking where this woman wakes up in the middle of the night and she hears these footsteps coming up her stairs and there's, she can tell that the person's wearing boots and there's water and it's sloshing. And she looked up and her husband appeared at her door in his, you know, rain gear and dripping wet and just, you know, stared at her and then was gone. And of course, then she knew that he died at sea. So it's, um, it's a tragedy that the, the, the thing about people dying at sea, it, it continues. There's still a fishing industry in, in Newfoundland and every year you, there's people who are lost and, and everybody in the province mourns for them because everyone's connect, so connected to each other and to the sea. Mm, and that type of apparition, I, I've read other encounters people have had with similar entities there is something about them that's that's really quite haunting in terms of them still be, them being like supping wet and everything. It, it does seem like a there's something about it that is truly unsettling. Well, yes, because it's so physical. It's it's you know people think of ghosts as being um, you know shadowy figures and that you can see through or floating figures, but 
that is a, that is a ghost that you could almost imagine that it left a puddle on the floor. It was, it was a physical, and that's what people say the experience of a token is that it's a, can often be a very physical apparition. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So in regards to other types of hauntings or ghosts that people encounter, are, are there other examples that seem to crop up more than others? Well, there's one, there's one ghost that is a very Newfoundland ghost. I don't, I'm not sure if she quite qualifies a goat as a ghost, um, but you, you can make up your mind when I tell you about her. And that's the old hag. And um, when I, the first book I wrote about ghosts was called The World Full of Ghosts. And I went, you know, I did research to find ghosts all around the world. And of course I did, it was before I moved to Newfoundland, but I did research. And the only ghost that was so much a Newfoundland ghost was this old hag, but I decided that it was too scary to put into a book for for seven-year-olds, so <laughs> I left it out of the book. But the old hag, it's it comes from a tradition, a ghost that's experienced in many cultures over you know a very long time. Um, it's it's and every culture has a different kind of name for it, but and and the the tradition does come from Europe, the, the old hag, but. In Newfoundland, the old hag is very specific and it's, it's very, like a lot of things about Newfoundland, it's completely unique. And um, this ghost is so common that you can walk up to anybody from Newfoundland and say, well, do you know about the old hag? And they'll tell you a story, a spine chilling story that happened to them or one of their friends. So this is a very common ghost. And what it is, is that you wake up in the middle of the night and you're really scared like you're just you've got that fear like adrenaline pumping through your body and you're really scared but you can't move and there's a weight on your chest and this weight can appear as a little tiny you know twisted old crone an old hag or it can be an animal but you can't move and you want to move to get this thing off your chest but you can't no matter how hard you try you can't move and and the more you try the more terrified you become and um eventually if you can manage to move like you your all of your will is focused on trying to move one part of your body and if you can move it then you kind of break the spell and you wake up and it turns out that you weren't awake even though you thought you were and you've been visited by the old hag and um they use it as a verb. They say, oh yeah, you know, my, my uncle was hagged last weekend. He, he was hagged and, and person who's being hagged, if you're awake and you're seeing somebody sleeping or hearing them is they're, they're, they're sort of moaning and crying out in, in, in a lot of distress and they're, they're being visited by the old hag. So, um, she, she is, you know, it's, it's an experience, a ghostly or supernatural, you might call it a supernatural experience. Um, but I, you know, I do tell this story to the kids cause I'm dealing with slightly older kids. I do tell it to them and they, they, they do love being scared children <laughs> up to a point. Um, and, uh, I have an explanation for it, which I always give because I think, you know, that will help them. And there's always little arms popping up saying, I, I had the old hag visit me last month. And, you know, they know about it and, and some of them have experienced it. 
and you may have experienced it yourself, Rick. It's, um, it's basically a sleep disorder. Um, it's called sleep paralysis and that feeling that you can't move. It's something about, I don't know all the scientific terms, but it's something about the thing in your brain that keeps you from walking around and moving when you're dreaming about walking around that thing that just keeps you still in bed that gets mixed up with something in your brain. And so you think you're awake but you can't move. It's anyway, I don't know if that explains it enough for your listeners, but that's, that's how I understand it. It's something to do with that, that thing that keeps you from moving around and when you're dreaming. So, um, the funny thing about the old hag, what's it's funny now, wasn't at the time is, you know, I spend a lot of my time scaring children. That's sort of my job when I go to schools and it's fun. You know, the kids like being scared, but every once in a while, I feel like I'm paid back uh, for scaring them and that the ghosts that I talk about come and I have some experience of them just as revenge because I've scared all these poor children. And it happened with the old hag. I, I had it one night. I was I woke up with this so scared and, and thought somebody was at the door trying to get into the house and I couldn't move. And I had this weight on my shoulder and I just... I couldn't move. And, and it was really, really terrifying. And, and then I looked and I said, Oh, it's just my cat. I saw my cat and it's okay. You know, she gets on my shoulder sometimes at night and it's no problem, but I still couldn't move. And then I, um, and then it kind of dawned on me that my cat had died a year before. So whatever was on me was not my cat. And, um, this made it even more scary. And I, I tried, I was trying to move and I finally, I finally woke up and realized, you know, it was a dream and that I've been hagged and, uh, and that, you know, I was, you know, if you play with ghosts, they're going to come back and get you. That's what I tell the kids. I, I tell the kids and they get kind of a big kick out of the fact that even though I scare children all the time, every once in a while, I get really scared myself right yeah I mean I I haven't had that happen to me but I have woken up and felt like there's somebody stood in the room like I'll look I'll look over and see a shadowy figure which I think is it's not quite the same but it's I think it's a related aspect of it's not sleep paralysis is what I'm trying to say but it's a it's a related phenomena yes yes a lot of people see ghosts like that they wake mm. up and see somebody and something in their room. So going back to the the work you do with children and the talks that you give them, with the older kids, do you find that that they they question more about what ghosts are? Because I imagine with younger kids, they don't worry about that sort of stuff. They just enjoy ghosts for being ghosts. But as they get older, do you feel like there's maybe some sort of, not pressure, but uh, an encouragement to be more skeptical about that sort of thing? Well, that's funny because I, I usually, most of my audiences and my books are for children about age eight, nine, 10, up to 12 or 13. And there's a real break off in, I, I know your school system is different in the UK, but in grade six, kids are usually 12. And when they get to grade seven, everything changes, puberty hits, and they, they're mm. not <laughs> as, 
you know, the audience, you can just tell because the little kids, you ask them questions, the hands go up, they're, you know, they're excited, they're enthusiastic. When they get to grade seven and eight, they just sort of curl into little balls and don't, don't, you know, look around to see if anybody else has got their hand up. So I don't have a lot of stories with them, but when I do tell, when I, I, I have told stories with them, they are more reluctant to be, to show that they're scared. But I can see that once I've got them interested in the story, that they'll go along with me. Um, there's always some little smart, you know, Alex, some little, mm. you know, saucy little kid who will say, I don't believe in ghosts, right? And uh, I say, well, that's okay. That's fine. You don't have to believe in them. But, you know, just listen to the stories and then see what you think. Um, but I haven't... I haven't got into too many philosophical discussions with kids about, about the nature of ghosts. Um, though there, it is that it is one of the things that kids are absolutely fascinated with ghosts. They really, they really perk up when I start talking about ghosts. They, I think all, I think grownups too. I mean, it's one of those subjects that we can't leave alone. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and it's something I've thought about more, since doing the podcast is that the question do you believe in ghosts isn't really it's not a helpful one to begin with and and ultimately it doesn't really matter it's no because of the nature of what ghosts are i don't think that there's really any need to prove them to prove that they exist because what exactly are you trying to prove ghosts are so from the from the very beginning, I think you're doomed to fail, really, because how can you quantify something that you don't know what exactly it is? Or if you're trying to quantify it, then all you might be proving is that that isn't what a ghost is. You're not proving that ghosts don't exist. You're just proving that whatever you think they might be, they're probably not. As somebody who uh, interacts with kids uh, and talks to them about ghosts, uh, I, I'm, I'm just really interested in if you if you have if you've thought about how i mean i mean i guess you're doing it really if you're asking kids to go and ask their parents about ghosts and the ghost stories and that sort of oral tradition the family aspect of it but i i'm just curious as somebody that interacts with the generation of people leading up to adulthood almost is is that do you think that there's a a better way to talk to not just kids but people in general about ghosts um i think I totally agree with you that it's, 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 there's no point in trying to prove whether or not ghosts exist because people who have experienced a ghost believe that they've, they know what they've seen and they, they believe it. And I take their word for it. That's been their experience and different people have different kinds of experiences. Um, and I think that one thing I always try with the kids is, you know, they I'll always be asked, can ghosts hurt you? And I always say no. And, and, uh, I believe that, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, you never know with ghosts, how much of it is imagination and susceptibility and how much of it is something real. I mean, but I, I don't try to figure that out. And, um, and like, like you said, I don't think kids really want to either. They, that it's the story that's so, that's so compelling that the story of a ghost. And I think, I, I've thought about it myself and I know, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but you know, we really want there to be something after death. We don't want 
when we lose people, we want them to come back to us in some way. We long for them to come back. And I think that, that the ghosts, um, the ghost stories, even though they're scary, they, 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 that's, I think a lot of them come out of that longing, you know, and, and also wanting just, you know, wanting, wanting the contact and wanting, wanting there to be something more to this world than, you know, everything that is concrete and that you can explain scientifically. Like I, I don't get into the paranormal investigations because it just seems like, I think if the ghosts are on us, they're on a spiritual level and how can you measure a spirit? You know, how can you measure it? You can't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, it, it does seem connected to the storytelling tradition, especially the oral storytelling tradition, because from my own experience, you can forget that actually books haven't been around en masse for that long a time. For most of human history, as I understand it, a lot of information is transmitted orally between people. And I and I, I wonder if that plays a part in the ghostly phenomena, in that ghosts are part of an oral storytelling tradition because they are things that encourage us to tell stories. So it's a so almost like a co-creation, I guess, is that you need the storyteller and you need the thing and then they work together and then they they are part of that system, I guess. Again, going back to sort of it being part of an ecosystem of sorts. And now that we often contain stories in a book, it, that relationship isn't as strong as it perhaps used to be. No, it's a different medium, you know. It's a different mm. medium for the story. And, um, you know... The thing I say, for example, about the old hag is that um, there's a scientific explanation, but the story is a lot more fun. And and a story exists on its own. It has its own life, as you say. It's a mixture of the original event and then the storyteller. And each storyteller changes the story and, and it, they stay alive that way. Um, and this, the ghosts are part of that. And... Uh, I think like, you know, if you picture the old days, I mean, um, if you pictured the old days with this creaky wooden house uh, on the edge of the ocean with all this wild mm-hmm. weather around and the neighbors have come together and they're sitting around um, telling stories and outside is this dark blackness and this wild weather, um, there's like anything can happen. It, it, because the story and the experience of how they lived become, you know, it's all part of the same thing. Like you say, it's, that's, those are their lives. And, um, it's so valuable to, to be able to, to hear the stories and when they're written down, they're not, they're not the same, but at least the spirit of them, if I can use that word, the spirit of them is the same, you know, it's the same sort of impulse that, that gave rise to the story is it, it carries through into the book. Hmm. So even though it's, it's not the same when you read the story, the spirit, if I can use that word, the spirit of the ghost story is still there. And the spirit carries on from the tradition, oral tradition into the books. And, um, and that's, what's important. Like to me, the story, well, I'm a writer, so the story is everything to me, the story itself and the ghosts in the story are very real to me. 
Um, and I, I, it is important because it reflects people's beliefs, beliefs and, and a culture that, uh, is slipping away. It's slowly slipping away. Our, 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 these, these beliefs that have, you know, people have held for hundreds of years and ghosts and it is kind of slipping away a bit. So it is important to write them down. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think going back to what you were, something you were saying earlier, I, I find that ghosts and the paranormal are, are quite a good subject if you want to get into things like philosophy and, and psychology and things like that and other areas that at first you might not think are connected to that sort of thing, but it doesn't take too long before you, you find that they are. Yes, that is true. And and what I say about my books too, because I write novels as well as the shorter ghost stories, is I use the ghosts as a gateway into a child's imagination. And mm. it does, as you say, it opens things up and it opens up, you know, questions of life and death and, um, you know, what is real and what isn't. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a subject that leads you many different places. Mm, definitely. One of the books you've written is the Fairyland Visitor, and all, all your books look fab. But this was the one that hooked me the most, I think, because it's based on a, tr- a true story about an artist, uh, Gerald Squires, who and you met him. Yes. And you met the? Did you meet him and the Squires family, or is it? Yes, I met I met Jerry, and I met his daughter Esther, and his daughter Miranda, and I met his wife Gail. So all the people in the story I met, and they. They all pretty t- well told me their version of this story, and I then I wrote it up. Um, and if you're if you're happy to tell it, I'd I'd love to hear it. <laughs> okay, it's it's yeah, it's one of my favorites, um, and it 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 is the only. Usually, I just get a ghost story from one person, except when the kids tell the same story in their stories. Uh, but um, in this case, it was the whole, I got to talk to the whole family and I've been to the place. Now the place itself is a magical place and it inspired another book I wrote called The Painting. But um, actually one of Jerry Squire's paintings inspired that, that whole novel. But it's called Fairyland and it's, but it's fairy, F-E-R-R-Y. But it's not even, it comes, I think, from a Portuguese word or something, I'm not sure, but it is called Fairyland, and it's a spit of land that goes out into the ocean on the Atlantic coast about um, an hour south of St. John's, and it's a very foggy area because the Atlantic Ocean just hits the land right there, and um, there's a lighthouse at the end of the spit. So um, what happened was in the 1960s, all the lighthouses in Newfoundland were automated. So the light keepers houses that were beside the lighthouse, they were abandoned and, and a lot of them just fell into disrepair. But Jerry Squires, who was an artist at the time with two children, he, he arranged to uh, rent this house, I believe in the seventies, 1970s. And he, um, he was an artist, his wife was a potter, and they decided to to live out there in this house that was in really rough shape. You know, they had to fix the windows and there were all kinds of, uh, there was all kinds of places where the wind could get through the walls. So they, they had their work cut out for them the first spring that they lived there. And they, um, the little girls, Esther was six and her, her sister Miranda was seven. 
So they were happy to be there, but they were working hard to get the house ready for the winter. And they didn't really know anybody. They knew a couple of people, but not, not very many people in the community. And the thing about where the lighthouse was at the end of this long spit of land, it's about two kilometers long, and you could sit at the window and look back to the shore and see the road that, that wound along the, the spit back to the shore. So you, they always knew when somebody was coming because you could see them from a long way off. So this one day in October, cold, kind of windy day, little Esther was sitting at the window looking back down the shore. And uh, she was just sitting there kind of daydreaming and her parents were working. And after a while, there was a knock on the door and they were all surprised because they hadn't had any visitors yet. So um, Jerry went out to the hallway and Esther went after him and he was going to answer the door. But when he got to the hallway, he stopped because there was a man standing in their hallway in a long black coat, a very tall man. And he had kind of a white collar and Anyway, he was just standing there grinning at them. And he said, oh, hello, your dog told me I could come in. And sure enough, their little dog, Houndy, was sitting at his feet looking up at him. And it was very strange because Houndy was one of those dogs who always let them know if somebody was outside and barked and barked and barked. So, but Houndy hadn't made a peep. So Jerry laughed and you know, in Newfoundland, people do walk into your house without knocking. It happens all the time. So he wasn't surprised. And he brought the man in the kitchen and they sat him down and gave him a cup of tea. And he started to talk. And Newfoundlanders love to talk. So he talked and he talked and he told them all these stories about the lighthouse. Because he said he had a very strong connection with the lighthouse because he was best friends with the man who was the lighthouse keeper in the old days. And he would go out and, and sit there for hours with him. And he knew the stories that went with the lighthouse, the stories of the shipwrecks and the rescues and over the years and storms. So we sat there for a couple of hours telling them stories. And finally, he said, well, I need to get going. And he got up to leave and, and uh, he looked around at them and he said, you know, I heard there were new people come to live in the lighthouse and I just wanted to come in and make sure that you were the right kind of people. And I think you are. And so they laughed and they said goodbye. And, and Jerry walked him to the door. And then Esther went back and sat at the window and looked down the road because she hadn't seen him come, but she was going to watch him go. And she sat there and she sat there, but there was no sign of him. And then her mother came up behind and, and looked out and looked down the road and said, well, what's happened to our visitor? She said, did he just fly away? And Esther kind of laughed, but she wondered what had happened to him. So the next day, Esther and her dad, Jerry, they went to see one of the neighbors that they knew that was down the road quite near the shore. So they went down to see him and his name was Arch. And they were sitting having a cup of tea and a chat and Jerry mentioned that they'd met this this old fellow who had been uh who had you know knew all about the lighthouse and had come and told them stories. And Arch said, "Well, now who could that have been?" And Jerry said, "Well, we didn't really get his name. We didn't think to ask his name, but he described the way this man looked and his long coat and his bald head and um and then he started telling 
Arch all the stories that he told. And, and these were stories that Arch knew well. They were, you know, these shipwrecks and, and things that had happened at the lighthouse were very dramatic. They were very well known, these stories. But he said, finally, he just started frowning. And he said, it's, you know, you know, it, there is an old guy. There was an old guy, Dick Coslow. And this sounds like him. He would, he was the constable here and he used to, he used to go out to the lighthouse all the time and he used to tell these stories. I've heard him tell the same stories myself. And Jerry said, yeah, well, that must've been him. It must've been Dick Coslow. And, and Arch shook his head. He said, no, it couldn't have been him. And Jerry said, well, why not? And Arch looked over at Esther and he looked back at Jerry and he said, look, I don't want to alarm you, but Dick Coslow died 20 years ago. And, you know, Esther and her dad were just struck, like, how could that be, you know? And, and they thought, well, you know, it, it wasn't him. It was some other old fella. So the next few weeks and months, they, they asked around and they got to know more people in the area. And they always asked if anybody knew this old fellow who, the way he looked and the way he talked and who knew all the stories about the lighthouse and, and nobody, there wasn't anybody else. There, there wasn't anybody who fit their description or they ever saw. So the following spring, they'd gotten settled into the lighthouse and Gail opened uh, a pottery studio there and tourists used to come and people would come from all over on Sundays to buy her pots. And one day there was a tall woman buying some pots and Jerry just kept kind of looking at her and 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 finally she he said to her I'm sorry you just you look really familiar to me and she said oh well um my name is such and such and and I um you know I actually I was I grew up here I come from fairyland but I I went away when I was a young woman and married an American and I know I have an American accent now and I don't sound like a Newfoundlander anymore but I grew up here and Jerry said, well, you remind me of somebody, somebody I met last fall. And uh, I think I think it was your father. And she was just dumbfounded. And she said, well, you couldn't have met him. He, he's, he's dead. He's been dead for 20 years. Jerry said, no, I think it was him. He looked just like you. And he's, he took the woman out and they sat down on a bench and little Esther went and was listening to the whole thing. And he said, you know, he told her everything that happened and the way the man had appeared in their house and the stories he told. And she just kept shaking her head and shaking her head. And finally, she started sort of half laughing and half crying. And she said, you know, I think it was my dad. I think you're right. It was my dad because, you know, he was a constable and part of his job was going around visiting people in the, in the community. And he'd always just never knock. He'd just walk right in and then he'd, he'd, he'd laugh and he'd say, your dog told me I could come in. <laughs> so that's the story of the fairyland visitor. Wow. It's amazing. It's, it's a yeah, it, it's a story because the, the, all those people were there and they all told me like it wasn't it, it was again, it was a very physical ghost. It looked like you or me. It looked like somebody who was alive and there wasn't anything to say it was a ghost. And it was almost as if he had just come to welcome them into their new house. And um, that story has been told and, and there's been TV shows made of it, you know, on some of the haunted Canada shows it's, it's appeared, but um, 
I was so lucky to be able to talk to the people involved and especially Esther and her dad. And sadly her dad died before the book came out, but he did some, he did some illustrations for it, some little drawings. And he also, we used a lot of his paintings of fairyland in the book and on the cover. So it was a very special book and it meant a lot to the family. And to me, you know, having a little girl's, cause I write for children, having a, a little girl's story of, of, of a ghost, you know, she, she went back into her childhood to tell me the things that she remembered about it. And, um, it was, it was, it's a delightful story really. Uh, but like what, how do you explain it? Exactly. I mean, it's such a, uh, such a great example of a ghost story and, and why we love them and, and why they matter. I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Wow, that's a, a brilliant way to, to round off our conversation, I think. Karis, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love talking about ghosts in Newfoundland, so <laughs> it was a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you and your work and your books, how best do they do that? Well, I have a website and it's uh, com. So Karis is spelled C-H-A-R-I-S, Cotter, C-O-T-T-E-R. And you can see my books on there and, um, and, and read all about, there's some, there's some videos on there too. And you can learn a bit more about, about Newfoundland ghosts. Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure to put that information in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you, Karis. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Karis. The ghost story she recounted toward the end of the interview that inspired her book, The Fairyland Visitor, is quite wonderful, both in the events themselves and the deep connection to where it happened. I highly recommend checking out Karis's work if you enjoyed this episode. If possible, please also rate it and leave a short review wherever you listen, as it really helps to promote the podcast and grow an audience. Sharing it on social media, or even just telling a friend, is really helpful too. You can follow Some Other Sphere on X, formerly known as Twitter, Blue Sky and Mastodon, and subscribe on most of the well-known podcast platforms. You can also support the upkeep of the podcast with a donation via Ko-fi. Details on how to do that are in the show notes. If you'd like to email me here at SphereHQ, the address is someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you about an episode you've enjoyed or suggestions for future guests and topics. Until next time, be safe and well, and I hope you'll join me again soon for another episode of Some Other Sphere.